everyone. Welcome to another edition of Turned Out a Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham, and once again, I am bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, I'm going to get this out of the way off the top. To me, this is a top five episode. Easy, easy. Kid Congo Powers is on the show today. And you know Kid Congo Powers, of course, from The Cramps. You may know him from Gun Club. You may know him from Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. You may know him from Kid Congo Powers and the Pink Monkey Birds. You may know him from just uh, being the original president of the Ramones Fan Club in L.A. More on that in a second. But first, if you want to get in touch with me, you can drop us an email at uh, Podcast at gmail.com. That address is run by my brother and show producer, Tristan Abraham. He also runs a Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash turned out a punk. You can send him messages. He'll get the messages to me. Also updates for the show are posted there. There's also an Instagram page at turned out a punk run by him. And we also have some other things, I think, but you can find me on various forms of social media at left for Damien. If you want to support the show, the best way of doing that is by telling all your friends about it, letting everyone you know know that you listen to this thing. Also, there's a Patreon, which you can find at patreon.com slash turned out of punk. And I appreciate all contributions made there, of course. Also, this show would not be possible without the kind, loving support of the fine folks at Vans. The people at Vans came on board a couple years ago and said, we don't want you to do this out of your own pocket, Damien. We want you to do it with our support and just book whoever you want to book. And that's why the show continues to be so fun. Like, you know, one week we'll have someone from, you know, a, a hardcore band on. One week we'll have someone from a garage band on. Someone that's a comedian. So who knows? Who knows? That's the fun thing about this show. And that's what Vans gets. And also on August 24th, you can catch me at the House of Vans in Chicago for Cloud Nothings and Converge. That's like a... That's like a C-section double bill ripped right from my seven-inch section at home. You know, Cloud Nothings and Converge. I got both those band singles, you know, right right, right up behind me right now. So there you go. I will be there in Chicago. It's another C. And we will be having a fun time at that House of Vans. So check, uh, check the internet for more information on that. Speaking of checking the internet, you're going to want to check the internet if you do not know my next guest. Because this guy connects more worlds. Ugh. This is a legend. I really want to give a huge thank you to my brother, Tristan, for booking this because this is why we do this thing. Kid Congo Powers is on the show today. Kid Congo Powers is someone who, as I say, connects, you know, first wave LA stuff with the screamers. Like he was running, you'll, you hear all this stuff in a second. It's going to, so, so I don't want to overhype or, or do anything. You can't overhype it because that's how cool this next guest is. There is nothing left to say, actually. I'm, I'm like, going to try and set this up for you. You got to look up Kid Congo Powers if you do not know who this guy is. This guy is like the coolest ever, and you will hear all about it in one second. But before you do, know that if you are in Canada this Saturday at uh, 9 o'clock, and again at 10 o'clock, you can see The Wrestlers, the TV show that I made, and it's got the first episode and the second episode. The first episode features music by Neurosis. And features uh, a Gigi Allen song. That wasn't my choice. Uh, also features Darby Allen, a wrestler hugely influenced by by Danger Aaron and by Gigi Allen and Darby Crash. So a lot of turned out a punk connection here. Like we've got like three guests, four guests mentioned right there. So uh, you need to watch this show if you haven't and you are in Canada. And if you're in England, it's on in England on demand or in the UK, I should say. I think it's on all the UK, I should say, on Viceland UK. It's also on demand in America. So you can find the wrestlers in those places. And it's coming out soon in Netherlands and Belgium and in Luxembourg and hopefully other places. But that's it. Here it is, everyone. One of the top five episodes ever for me. Kid Congo Powers on Turned Out a Punk. Kid Congo Powers, thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, the pleasure is mine. Well, as I was just telling you off air, um, I'm a fan of, oh my God, so much stuff that you've done. So there's there's a lot of places this conversation will go. <laughs> and in researching this thing, uh, there's even more questions I have. So I got to start it off, though, the way I start them all off, which is, okay, Kid, how'd you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across the genre? 
<laughs> I invented it. No. Um. <laughs> I'd accept that answer because believe me, there's a lot of proof to that. No, well, you know, I was a, a kid. I was already, you know, well into music. Um, I was uh, really a fan of, you know, glam rock and David Bowie and, and T-Rex. And I grew up in L.A., you know, in the suburbs of L.A. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I was, you know, I was a 14, 15, 16-year-old kid, you know, going out to Rodney Bingenheimer's English Disco and uh, going to concerts, you know, the New York Dolls. I saw an endless amount of pre-punk concerts, you know, a super Anglophile. You know, I loved all the British groups and saw bands like the Sensational Alex Harvey Band or, mm-hmm. or, um, or you know, the New York Dolls. Uh, uh, and, it, you know, I was in, really into Sparks, you know, uh, Dr. Feelgood, you know, you know mm-hmm. a lot of, a lot of, just different different things that were you know any any first wave punk will tell you those were you know huge influences on them you know and that's where we were kind of coming from and uh, you know so I was like on the glam rock scene and uh, very you know it was and that was already a bunch of misfit people you know especially the young young kids you know there was young girls there there was older guys dressing up like dressing femme and dressing glam to get the younger girls. But mm-hmm. there was also a, a, a big bunch of uh, kids around, you know, that were just excited about music, you know, and there, and we were all underage. How we got into a bar, I'll never know, but we got in <laughs> and hung out, you know, and we would drink in, in behind Rodney's, you know, before because we were underage and couldn't drink once we got in. And, um, you know, and I met a bunch of, I went with some high school friends and then they got bored with the idea and I started taking the bus from the suburbs and to Hollywood to go hang out at Rodney's. And I met, you know, a bunch of, you know, kids my age, you know, when we were you know, 16 tops. And, um, and we were the people that kind of after glam died off, there was kind of a weird, uh, middle period of, uh, of kind of of people took up. Some people went to disco, you know, that was a place to go. Um, and certainly for a gay kid, I was, you know, I was quite a flamboyant young fella there. And, um, you know, it, it could be one way to go, but, you know, the rock and roll kids, you know, started going to see more things like uh, there was this kind of already an underground kind of brewing of bands that were kind of, you know, MC5, Detroit rock influence. There's a band called The Dogs who actually Absolutely. were people from who were from Detroit mm-hmm. and they were living in L.A., and they were making a, a stink. Even the motels, that band, the motels, mm-hmm. were kind of lumped in with that, you know, before they went major label and a little more commercial. But they were, you know, they were doing, going through some, you know, going down some dark, you know, gutsy roads there, you know, Bukowski and different things, you know. Um, so, you know, so when punk started in L.A., you know, all us glam kids came from the glam place, and then there was kids who came from the rock place, and then there was a bunch of kids who came from the record collector place. <laughs> of, you know, scene. You know, we were all into old records and '60s music and psychedelic music as well, and um, and we would meet up at this uh, record swap meet that was a once a month record uh, swap meet, and it would be held at the Capitol Records building in the parking lot there. Absolutely. This is a legendary, legendary record collector meetup. Yeah. So, you know, that's where, you know, it was another place that everyone, you know, you saw all the people you saw out at Rodney's or or at the Dogs concert. They were all at their, also at the um, record swap meet, you know. And, And so, you know, to me, that's, you know, kind of the first punk Kind of things, and of course, then Patty Smith was around, you know, 
1975, 76, Ramones, you know, all, all of the New York things that showed up, uh, you know, in, in LA that, you know, before the, uh, punk scene happened, you know, it was, it was, it was the same people that ended up being the punk scene. It was the, it was the same, uh, you know, Alice Bag and Darby Crash and, you know, every, me and, you know, we were, we all came out from, from that, that kind of world, you know. And so, uh, once, you know, Brendan Mullen, uh, you know, started the Mask Club, which I guess was probably the first big, you know, real punk hangout, you know, mm-hmm. it really, uh, yeah, that was, that was, I guess, where, you know, I first heard of punk. Why? <laughs> Why? I've gone off on a tangent. No, believe me. I, that... took, you, I took you down some weird trails. There. No, be- All right. you gave me so much stuff that I want to go back and follow up on. I, I am like, okay. you, you, this is the this is the dream of this show. Believe me, you've already covered some things that I've always, <laughs> I can't wait to dive into. But so starting with one of those, going back to, to Rodney's English disco, you know, there's always kind of stories of the legendary, I guess they've been described as a house band, but Zolar X. Did you ever see them? Mm, I did see Zolar Hex, yes. What are your memories of that I would band? see uh, <laughs> hilarious. Um, <laughs> hilarious, to, you know, uh, uh, really conceptual. I mean, I always thought they were pretty funny and uh, very dedicated, you know. <laughs> very, they, they never get came out of character and you would, you would definitely, you would see them in the daytime walking out the Sunset Strip uh, as Zolar X and had their Zolar X language. And, um, you know, it was, it was amusing. I, I can't remember what the music was like, <laughs> but, but who cares what they sounded like? Uh, well, luckily it's been reissued recently by, well, not recently, I guess a while back, but it's still available by alternative tentacles. And it's, it's Oh, great. great. It's amazing though, how that kind of pre foretells, you know, the sonics of punk rock in a lot of way, there's like heavy bubblegum parts. Yeah. And then there's like, also like you're saying that Detroit rock guitar that would become, you know, a lot more prevalent yeah. a few years later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. You know, it was a, you know, their, their costume outshone, you know, I remember their costume much more than I remember what their music was like. <laughs> <laughs> That's striking, you know, but you know, you know, so you know, you know, LA, you know, LA is Hollywood and that's all about image and mm-hmm. so much about, about old Hollywood and about glamour and about, you know, um, you know, especially faded glamour. Mm-hmm. That was a huge in, in influence on punk, you know, you know, Sunset Boulevard or something, you know, something like that. Yeah. yeah. Cause it seems like glam never really took in America in the same way it took in England anywhere but LA, really. Yeah, that's because Rodney Bingheimer created a, a world for it. Yeah, you know, yeah. He was he 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 made the he went the whole hog, and you know got the records. I mean, you know, I learned about so much uh, music from him because he had all the British forty fives and records, and we play the B sides like B sides to Bowie songs that you never had heard of, and mm-hmm. uh, and, and you know. Yeah, so you know, it was a real, real learning. You know, it was a really cool learning thing. You know, for music, and I really, you know, he's, you know, he's, he's a, he's really responsible for, you know, creating, you know, that, that, that much of a, what do you call it, influence and and learning, you know, learning experience for people, you know, so. Well, it's like you said, like how many of the kids in that, you know, in his club with you at that time would wind up being the next wave of bands would wind up being the scene at some point, like the inspiration <laughs> point seems to be there. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I suppose everyone <laughs> would say, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like when I say everyone who heard the Velvet Underground started a band or saw the first Sextus. Um, you know, it, I think that all kinds of people came out of that scene. You know, I think all kinds of uh, uh, different things. I'm sure filmmakers, uh, 
fashion designers, all kinds of people, you know, and, and all it was really was for me and the people, my, my peer group, which was the kind of sub, not famous, you know, just hangers on or, you know, hanger, hangers on the kids, you know, you know, we were, you know, we were dedicated to rock and roll, you know, and that, that's all we wanted. We wanted to live it, you know, we wanted to, you know, be inside of it. And that was the excitement about Ronnie Bingenheimers is that, you know, you could see rock stars that would come hang out there, you know, who knows, Mark Boland could be there, you know, anyone, you know, and, and it was uh, exciting in that kind of way, you know. But, but, you know, I think this, for, for me, I can talk to you all about this because I'm actually finishing a book right now. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you talk a lot about this. So, um, yeah, so I better not say too much. No, no, absolutely. Uh, we can move on from this thing. I just wanted to know about, what about The Quick? Were you a fan of that band at all? Oh, yeah. The Quick were great. You know, they were, you know, a very, very um, sparks. Yep. Yeah. We, every, yeah. Um, they, they would be the first to tell you they were huge fans of sparks. Um and uh, they were kind of like our Sparks, <laughs> our local, <laughs> although Sparks is from L.A., but, um, but you know, of, of the local scene and local, you know, the, the love of music. And then, of course, they had their own take on, on, on it, you know, and, and super charismatic and super strong. They're so super focused and sincere, and you, they had a real feeling of... Uh, of, of love for that music that they were making, you know, mm-hmm. it was cool, you know, and it was original, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't punk, you know, they were a pop band, and, uh, but a good one. Yeah. Like once again, I think, you know, and they had a single, I think backdoor man put out one of their early seven inches. So it's yeah. like a, it for pre foretells that kind of DIY punk. Yeah. Thing. You know, backdoor man magazine, that was the Bible. You know, mm-hmm. that was the underground Bible for me and, and my friends, you know, and, um, you know, because I just I, I remember, you know, that's where I heard of everything. I heard of Patti Smith from there, Para, Para Ubu. They all had addresses you could mail away for your records in the back, you know. Yeah. You know, they were putting out independent singles then, you know, and, and, um, and, and, and yeah, Backdoor and, you know, the people of Backdoor Man were great people and i completely idolized them when i was a kid i was like oh i want to be like them you know they were only like probably two years older than me, <laughs> i thought they were i thought they were like really you know, cool older people yeah and they probably they probably were like 17 but um <laughs> yeah. but, uh, yeah. but when you're 14 17 old oh it's huge but, it's um, huge it's like yes. <laughs> that age gap depreciates um, over time yeah but yeah, I remember, they, and they had essays about juvenile delinquency and you know the rebel culture of James Dean and Marlon Brando, and you know it was just a great, great magazine, you know, and um, and you know, and of course I ended up being friends with all these people, you know, because they were around, you know, mm-hmm. and um, and they were all as cool as I thought they would be. Was this- still friends with many of them? Was that the inspiration for your fanzine? Because you did a Screamers fanzine a few years later, right? Yeah, I think Backdoor Man was one, one and, you know, just fanzines in general already were um, coming, you know, you know, sniffing glue from England and, and just different, you know. The Xeroxed fanzine was, you know, a uh, photocopy fanzine, was, you know, stapled in the corner, was... Uh, you know, uh, you know, after first, uh, you know, that was becoming a real uh, communication and a way to, um, a way to, uh, what do you call it? A way to um, communicate with everyone, you know, and, and, you know, for, I did the Ramones one because there was this, you know, when the Ramones first came, they were playing every nook and cranny, you know, of, Los Angeles, and they were playing it, you know, in Orange County. They're playing every little club everywhere, you know, um, you know, not just not just the Whiskey Go-Go or the Roxy. They were they were like doing everywhere. They'd play anywhere, and uh, and, and, uh, and and so there was the same group of people that were following them around, which were you know kids, of course, um, 
but you know also like you know old hippie professors and and fashion models and <laughs> just like all these just different kinds of people you yeah. know <laughs> you know it looked like a, a scene a crowd scene from mad magazine or something <laughs> you know where people's tongues are hanging out and, and then there's a fashion model and someone's nailing their ear to the door or something you know it was kind of like that a diverse and family so there was yeah so their first fan base was not hip at all. You know, it, was, it was really very many miscreants, and um, of which I was one of. And uh, and, uh, and and um, so I thought, like, oh well, you know, we're all everywhere, and we all are trying to get the same kind of news about the Ramones. So I started just taking everyone's address and send out a newsletter, a fanzine, with whatever I could find out. And then the record company you know, saw a good thing when they you know, knew a good things when they saw it with some grassroots kids willing to, you know, get really enthusiastic. So they started offering, you know, um, me to use their, you know, their copy machine and they'd give me materials and all the latest news and stuff. So, you know, we didn't have a huge readership and it didn't go for long, but, you know, but, uh, but, you know, it was, it was the start of uh, what happened became a really enduring community Absolutely. Of, 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 of fans. So, you know, before there was an internet, before you could go on Facebook, you know, you had to, everyone had to call each other and write postcards and, and, you know, and, and send out newsletters. And because, you know, the, these were some dedicated people that loved the Ramones, wanted nothing more than see the Ramones become the biggest band in the world. And, um, and, 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 you know, and, and, you know, we were, we, we had the fire, had the fire. As a matter of fact, on the back of uh, our in uh, Danny Fields photo book, there's a crowd scene of the Ramones with a bunch of fans, like an outdoor concert. Mm -hmm. And I'm right standing right next to Dee Dee Ramone. You can <laughs> see me. A 16-year-old me. <laughs> the Ramones. I'm 60 now. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like it's such an amazing time too where like you know like these bands were you know larger than life but yet you still could have access to them and like someone like yourself mm -hmm. could still take initiative and and you know and help lead that fandom on your own yeah i mean it, it seemed it seemed quite natural I mean, mm -hmm. because it was um i think that was even more exciting it was also going to see the Ramones and then after the show they would just walk out into the audience and start saying hey where, where do you go thrift shopping or where's record stores <laughs> around here and like oh can you take us and like you know that was unheard of you know so, you know talking about whatever Sparks or Queen or, or whatever you know even the New York Dolls you yeah know? yeah you would see them roll out of a limousine sunglasses on with a giant entourage and rush past you and you know, you, you didn't have any access to that, you know, you know, there was no, there was no getting autographs from Freddie Mercury, you know, or, you know, yeah, they were everyone, they were un, the untouchables, you know, and so, and you didn't question that really, you know, you, you know, uh, so uh, when the Ramones came and, and, and bands like the Ramones, Blondie, the same, you know, they would play and then come and be like, hey, what's going on? And blah, 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 what do we do around here? <laughs> you know, it was a revelation. Yeah. So, you know, it made you, it made, uh, it made a bunch of the kids who were there, like, even more excited to uh, want to be, it made you feel a part of it, you know, it made you not feel separate from them, you know, and, uh, you know, and you could still hero worship, but you could also, talk to them <laughs> you know and, and be a part of and be you know and feel like you were a part of something did you ever see the stooges when they had that kind of legendary run of shows in la you know i didn't i'm, I'm sad to say i don't know how i could have possibly missed it but i didn't mm -hmm. well i guess I there's a lot of I, stuff going on yes there was many things that made me i was grounded so. <laughs> 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 yeah, I've been out too many times, snuck out the back window too many times. <laughs> um, so, uh, but, but, uh, but yeah, no, no, I wish I would have. I did see the New York Dolls. Yeah. So that I'm happy. 
you know, I didn't see Iggy till like 77. So we did the uh, idiot tour, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But I have lots of friends who saw those shows. <laughs> <laughs> what about the nerves? Not me. How did the nerves fit into the, to your world at that time or did they fit in at all? Mm. Oh yeah. Yeah. The nerves, they were, they were around. And I would say that they were around around that pre-punk time too, around the time of the dogs and the motels mm-hmm. and that, you know, they were one of the bands. There was a band, the pop, the zippers, all these kind of like really pop influenced, but you know, they weren't Paul in, you know, they weren't in that, you know, there was something, real about them, something grittier yeah. about them, you know, and, uh, and they probably weren't on a major label and, you know, there wasn't a big fanfare about them. They were local band, uh, but, you know, but the nerves are great, you know? When, and, yeah. And the nerves are one of the few bands that I think, you know, really got out there. Like they toured up to Toronto where I'm calling you from. Like they, uh-huh. they were like a band that, you know, pre, you know, black flag who gets a lot of credit for it or DOA. Like they were a band that was doing that DIY thing real early. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Good for them. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Um, what about, <laughs> speaking of other bands there, you eventually do do a screamers fanzine. Like what was your first exposure to that band? Like such an incredible band, but sadly really under documented. Yeah, I was glad I was there for that. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, you know, they they hit LA like and immediately were sensational. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it was it was just this immediate sensation. Probably you know, like Zolar X. Yeah, you know, they looked incredible. You know, mm-hmm. they really everyone still had their striped shirts and bullhead haircuts, and they showed up looking like something from another planet, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, really, really done well, you know, and, um, really, uh, yeah, they're stead- they have incredible style and presence and, and everyone had to know who are, who is these, who are they, <laughs> who are these people, you know, who, I don't know what they do, but they're incredible, <laughs> you know, and, um, and they turned out to be really great people. And, and, and then, you know, and once you um, heard the music, uh, you, you, it, it didn't, uh, that's one thing. The music did not overshadow their look. Their music surpassed their look, mm-hmm. you know. Um, mm-hmm. And it was, it was revolutionary and um, uh, hard-hitting and still theatrical and humorous, but uh, still... Uh, you know, it was a weird, a weird, a weird combination of things. And they had no, no guitars, all keyboards and drums and, and voices. And, um, and yeah, it was, uh, they were a sensation, you know, they were, they were incredible. And, um, uh, and unlike anything happening at that time, you know, in LA, you know, uh, you know there was no one to compare it to, you know, maybe suicide in New York, but that even was something different, you know, yeah, um, but uh, but uh, you know, and, and you know, and as uh, I got to know them, you know, they came from a really. They didn't just say, "Oh, we're into punk rock and we're going to be punk rockers," you know. They they came from a long line of, you know, lo- you know, uh, underground theater in New York. The Cockettes from San Francisco, drag troupe. They had their own kind of version of the Cockettes that was actually more of a rock band called the Wiz Kids from Seattle. And, um, you know, they, they, they were, they, they had a lot of weight behind them, you know, and they had a lot of incredible vision, you know, for what they were doing. And, uh, you know, and like you said, it's, it's sadly, uh, uh, very not documented in record, you know, uh, you know, cause they, had such an incredible vision that they never mm-hmm. had <laughs> There's that video that it looks like a, a shot on a sound stage where it's just like, oh, it's got to be oh, the Target best. video one. Oh, yeah. So that's incredible. incredible. Yeah, it's great. If you could imagine an hour of that a night, you know, yeah. seeing them live, you know, and, uh, and the audience was just in a frenzy when they played, you know, um, it was, it was, it was, it was it was really, they were a phenomenon, you know, and, uh, 
Yeah, yeah, I was glad I was. I can I bear witness to that because it was great. Well, yeah, like when you said they were a band without peer at that time, like, yeah, really, like, they're a band that seems like it comes from, like, in the same way Devo almost seems like it comes out of yeah. nowhere. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think these things were happening in these places, like Akron, Ohio. Yeah. <laughs> different places, you know, like, well, yeah, they really, you know, accurately reflected you know, what, was, what, their, what their environment was, mm-hmm. really, you know, a, a band like Devo. Um and also, yeah, the Screamers, you know, they, they, they are, did one of my favorite things, like, like the Ramones or like Devo, you know, they created their whole world, you know, mm-hmm. they created their look, they created their sound, they created a, you know, a, a philosophy of sorts. And, and, you know, and it was very, and it was a world that you wanted to really dive into. Yeah, and, and and it was a, a language you wanted to learn, you know. And, and you know, and if you didn't learn it, you could just revel in it. And so, you know, so they were they were they were great, you know, a great great thing. They were a great thing for me, that's for sure, <laughs> <laughs> and a huge influence. But you know, when I did their fanzine, I was also living in the house with Tomato Tommy, the singer and the keyboard player. Mm-hmm. And you know, and they were bossed me around to do with their fanzine. <laughs> I, got, I got room. I got a room uh, for my work. For my work. Um, but uh, but yeah. So they 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 were very much a, a a great influence on me, like musically and and in so many uh, ways. You know, they they turned me on to so many. Films and anything from old old Hollywood films to uh, they turned me into Dario Argento and Suspiria. Awesome. They turned me, you know, you know, I went to see John Waters movies with them. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Tomato had been in a few underground movies and uh, you know, Thunder Crack and all these other kind of very influential underground seventies movies. You know, and they play they played. You know, Nico, their record player was like Nico, the German version of of uh, Trans Europe Express. That's you know, Owen Deutsch, yeah. and um, and and I did uh, the uh, and they were listening to Pat Suzuki, like jazz Japanese jazz singer, <laughs> and then you know, and you know, and and Noi. You know, I had never heard of the band Noi. They, had, they were into kraut rock and stuff. You know, and so you know they 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 influenced me in a lot of ways cult- culturally. You know, and um, you know, and, and Tomato. You know, and it was you know this whole thing. You know, and Tomato was openly gay, and um, you know, and that was also a revelation to me. You know, I had been a glam kid and very flamboyant and very, you know. You know, they're very like, yay, I'm gay, hooray, I'm a gay teenager. But, you know, that's always comes with a lot of, that came with a lot of weird baggage, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Um, you know, I, maybe you don't, because you're not, probably not a gay teenager, but maybe you are. Are you Are you a gay teenager? No, I'm not, but I can, I can <laughs> okay. empathize with, uh, I imagine, from what you're explaining you're going through this time. Yeah. So, you know, so, but anyway, so that was like really, uh, uh, another really kind of mentorship in that way that, you know, they were very free and open and freaky and, uh, and, and, and you know, and used it in a, in a super positive and creative way, you know, and, um, and, and channeled that into punk. And, and that was really revolutionary for me, you know, and relevatory. I guess it's a better word. Well, and it seems like you're doing much more than a fanzine. You're almost doing like a, like a newsletter from the band. You know, it seems like you're so yeah. directly involved with them. Yes. Yes. It was me and a couple of other people or a photographer and a couple of a couple that were a photographer. And yeah, yeah, we were, we were, uh, a vo- we were the voice of the band. You know? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they dictated to us what they wanted, you know, which of course, they would, but yeah, it was a little bit of advancement over my Ramones, you know, uh, one, you know, and a, a little more propaganda <laughs> than, than just strict fandom. <laughs> so, um, 
yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a, uh, my first my first foray into journalism. So, um, do, do you know how much um, of that stuff like survives at this point? Like, it'd be amazing to see that reissued. Like, that's once again like a band that's so underdocumented. It'd be incredible to see that stuff again. Oh yeah, let's see it. <laughs> oh, amazing. Okay, so I, I have a book. I have my book. My book is going to have some cool stuff in it. You know, very so, excited uh, for this already. I've been, been, oh, yeah, yeah. I've been collecting a lot, and we're we're getting the, we're getting there. So we're really we're really in the final editing right now. So we're hoping for a twenty twenty release. Um, and uh, but yeah, incredible. But, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Going something to look forward to. Absolutely. Well, yeah, in a, in a world where there's not a lot to look forward to these days, it seems, that is oh, definitely God. something to look forward Lord to. Lord have mercy. Oh, oh, let's move on to uh, more. Let's uh, move on. Yes. Um, go, another band that I think really invents their own world and a band that you would become very much involved in the world of at this time is the Cramps. Mm. When did you first become mm-hmm. aware of that band? Oh, God. Uh, when, uh, you know, around the same time of the Screamers, really, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you had, uh, well, there was, you know, we had a friend who was, uh, who, uh, was in New York and one of our LA friends, our friend Trudy, and she, um, wrote a letter saying, you have to see this band called the Cramps. They're the most incredible thing you've ever seen. And, oh my God, they're my new favorite band. And blah, 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 blah. so I was like, we were like, okay. And me and about four other punk rockers from LA all bought one-way tickets on the Greyhound bus to New York. <laughs> so we were like, because we, really, we couldn't bear the thought of being left out of the CBGB's Max's thing, you know, mm-hmm. it was already going for a while. And, you know, it was like, you know, like probably late 77, early 78 when we went, we were thinking we were going to miss it. And, um, and uh, so we, <laughs> we took a bus and, you know, stole a bunch of drugs out of our parents' uh, <laughs> medicine cabinet and on our way for the three-day bus ride across the country. And, um, yeah, and, and one of the first concerts we went to was actually the Cramps with the Contortions <laughs> playing James Chant. Yeah. And so, you know, and that blew my mind completely, you mm-hmm. know, if you could, you know, imagine, you know, because in L.A., we did have the screamers where about, the most avant-garde sort of thing, but, um, but yeah, yeah. But the cramps, uh, I, I, yeah. Converted on the spot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like it's the first song, it was just like, <laughs> well, this is the most incredible thing in the world, you know, and, um, otherworldly and, you know, yeah. But, you know, and at that time, you know, it was, uh, also, it was just, Mixing rockabilly with psychedelic music and uh, horror movie image, it was just, you know, that seems completely normal right now. Mm-hmm. But then no one had done it, you know. <laughs> and so it was really, uh, it was really something. And I mean, this is a band, I think they had one, the first single, The Way I Walk Was Out. And that, again, a mob scene of, people just screaming their heads off and going wild, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, this is why it's her favorite new band. <laughs> like, because it's everyone who sees them's favorite new band. Yeah. You know? um, and so, yeah, so of course, you know, I was, uh, you know, taken in, the, you know, in a fan, uh, you know, and uh, eventually, you know, came back to L.A. And they would come to L.A. and I would see them. And and then I also, you know, befriended, uh, you know, more, I more befriended, uh, Brian Gregory and, uh, Nick Knox and, um, and I'd met Lux and Ivy, you know, and, you know, everyone knew everyone, Mm -hmm. you know, in in New York at that time, it was hard not to, but, um, so when they, uh, when they, uh, came to LA, uh, after Brian left, uh, my friends, uh, my friend Christian Hoffman, who was in a band called The Mumps. I love that band. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, they, were, they were also it's very seminal in yes. early L.A. punk because they were the first band to come from New York and stay in L.A. for 
a period of time, a period of probably months, and um, they were recording, and uh, and and, uh, and I became friendly with them, and then uh, and also Christian was dating the drummer and Teenage Jesus, Lydia Lunch's band, Teenage Jesus, in the, the church, church, Bradley yeah. Field, yeah, Bradley Field, who's. Uh, quite the character, and he deserves a whole book about himself. Someone needs to write one about him. <laughs> you you would not believe it. Yeah, he looked like P- Peter Lorre, um, <laughs> like a a punk Peter Lorre, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> acted like one to him too. Um, but he, they they were like, if you come to New York, you can you can come and stay with us. Like I'm probably not thinking we'd actually show up, <laughs> show up at their door. <laughs> We're here. They're like, I guess you're staying. Yeah, but um, but so yeah, so yeah, so uh, but 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 Bradley and Christian were like, I had already the Gun Club had already kind of started then, mm-hmm. and they were they knew Lux and Ivy were looking for someone. That, and I, I was so uh, it was Christian and, and Bradley who said, you know you really should go see this band. You've met this guy, you know, this, this kid before this kid, this kid. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, and you should go see his band. They're a kind of a cramp spinoff. And they have a, even have a song about Ivy and, you know, you really should go see them. And so they came and saw us. And then that's how we got it. And uh, like <laughs> a week or two later, I was in the cramps. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Oh. So that was, miraculous turn of events i guess just going back to just before that what was your takeaway from going to new york versus what you were seeing in la at the time like what were the the differences between the two scenes at that point or music kind of Mm. cultures Mm. um they were very different Mm -hmm. very different in in ways and but in other ways you know it's just rock and roll it's just (laughs) kids into rock and roll so it's actually not different yeah you know, like uh, again i wasn't hanging out with johnny thunders and richard hell you know i was hanging out with kids my age you know and um, and, and uh yeah we were we were the ones you know going through the garbage in the back of cbgb's to knock in the back door so we could get in for free yeah and stuff um and, and uh and, and uh and uh, yeah, and, and I was into my friends' bands who were. There's a band called the Student Teachers. I became friendly with a great band. They befriended, yeah, yeah. They they befriended all of the LA punks, and we all hung out and crashed at their place. So, you know, the, their, their drummer Laura Davis, who actually just wrote a book. Mm-hmm. Um, also, she um, you should check that out. It's a good, good book. Um, she. Um, yeah, I had this crash pad where everyone was, and you know, and, and so you know, there was a lot of of that. The Blessed with Ali Pyro and, and Nick Berlin, and uh, you know, there, there were there were like the second tier bands who were the, the second, the new generation, mm-hmm. you know, and those who were more my friends than I was with uh, heavy hitters, because just because of that. That another huge age difference of probably three years. <laughs> <laughs> I was, you know, nineteen, and they were twenty-one. Far too old for me to be hanging out. But, you know, but, um, uh, but yeah, yeah. So, 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 yeah. But the takeaway was um, that it was actually, um, you know, New York was thought of as the the more intellectual, you know, more. Uh, yeah, bigger metropolis really, and LA had a lot more. You know, you know, I mean, if I think of the Screamers or X or something, who were the bands at that time, you know, they were quite popular and held their own. You know, um, along with any world punk band at the time, mm-hmm. um, uh, but. Um, I think there there was a difference, you know. New York is 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 is, is the metropolis, and and all of that, Patty Smith, and all of that, um, and the Ramones, you know, all came from there. And also, the uh, it had a lot more, had a lot more. Uh, uh, I don't want to say claustrophobic, uh, condensed culture. Mm-hmm. You know, a, a lot of cultures met up in 
you know, you know, there's art, you know, it's all kind of all mixed together. Where in LA, like film and music and art, it was all very separate, you know. Uh, so, um, and, and I don't know, to me, LA seemed younger, mm-hmm. you know, it seemed like uh, uh, there was a little more influence of England going on, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I don't know. You know, it's a fun. It's a funny thing when when I try to think of a difference. I don't. I don't really see much difference. Because <laughs> there's like also just like but it's, it's it's cultural. It's a cultural. I mean, that coasts are different cultures mm-hmm. for sure. There's just so much more documentation of that LA scene, you know, like there's a lot more, you know, be it slash records, be it danger house records, be it, Mm. be it like what records even like independent stuff that's happening like versus LA where, you know, like I love the student teachers, but like, it's only now that I'm getting a chance to hear that stuff. Like a lot of those bands didn't, you know, they're like, you know, people make a big deal out of punk fanzine, obviously a hugely important fanzine, but like there's Bob out of LA, there's backdoor man fanzine. There's just like a lot of stuff coming out of LA. Yeah, yeah. So maybe more variety, huh? mm. more, more, uh, yeah, more, yeah, more little sections of of the music scene, you know. Um, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, when Thur- when Thurston Moore was on the show, he talked about how scared he was. Like he he very much existed in this blessed student teacher scene it seems at the time and he talked about how scared yeah. he was of the kind of no wave bands like you know teenage jesus and the jerks the contortions was <laughs> did you perceive them as being like intimidating at all or is that is that well, something you that, better be scared yeah <laughs> it's kind of scary you better be scared of those people those people are sick <laughs> those people had real problems yeah <laughs> and they really did yeah you know <laughs> Uh, it is very much, you know, they were, they were, um, they, 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 these were people, you believed them, mm-hmm. you know, you believe Lady Lynch, you believe Michael Girard and the Swans, you know, you believe James Chance, you know, uh, you know, it's like, you know, going in the audience and pulling people's hair and slapping them and getting face punched out you know know, it's like you know and and you know it was it was frightening people weren't they weren't playing they weren't playing around they were no they were really getting something out that i think that you know they would have been murderers otherwise yeah (laughs) you know if they didn't do this they, they probably would have been you know very uh terrible people that they channeled it creatively and, and, um, and didn't you want to be scared? I wanted to be scared. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I, you know, and it was intense and it was something real and it was actually something reaching beyond, you know, what normally re- you know, you would wanted to where you would normally reach. And so, you know, that, uh, yeah, the cramps the same, you know, I was about to ask, was the cramps the same way? Because it feels that way. They were absolutely frightening, you know? Um, And uh, they were, because they were channeling something that was from way out of this world. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't of this planet or world that they are channeling, you know? And uh, thank God, you know? You know, and and, then. and, uh, yeah, yeah. So to get swept up into that was nuts. <laughs> going, going back to LA, like, uh, you know, a lot of people who've come on this show talk about this time period where, you know, the LA scene started to change and you had a lot more of the kids from the beach scene come in mm. and a shift from like, what was the punk scene into what would become more of the, the hardcore scene. Did you mm-hmm. perceive that? Or was that, you know, something you noticed? Well, yeah, I noticed, um, yeah. You know, it was because that would have been about the time I was starting with the gun club. Mm-hmm. I can remember it quite very much because we would get thrown on these hardcore bills. We were, you know, uh, Jeffrey Lee Pierce of the gun club was really good friends with Keith Morris of Circle Jerks mm-hmm. and um, Black Flag and Circle Jerks. And he, uh, and so, you know, Pete gave us a bunch of shows. We, before we even called the gun club, we were called the Creeping Ritual for a little bit. And, um, and, um, yeah, and, and we were on those circle jerk shows and, 
and that, that in Orange County and uh, in and yeah, it was it was you know that was a trial by fire. They hated us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> wanted nothing to do with our art rock, our art rock blues, whatever we were. Yeah, you know? but um, but um, but yeah, you know. But also, you know, I was already having my own band then. You know, and and I have always made my own fun and my own family and that. So, like, when people are saying, oh, bemoaning the hardcore invasion of punk, um, you know, it was was like, oh, stupid kids. (laughs) But, you know, but, but I also understood this is a different, this is something different. It's not. It's not what we're doing, mm-hmm. you know. What they're doing is not what we're doing. It's a different rock, you know. You know, I as it comes from that, but you know, there's a oh, bunch of angry kids. Here they come, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, uh, and and good for them, you know. And you know, they, so I, um, yeah. So so so, so uh, I I remember it, but. You know, I was already in, you know, I had already traveled a lot. I'd been in London, I'd been in New York, and, and, and I was already starting a band around the time of this hardcore thing starting. So, you know, I was kind of off onto my own things rather than to worry about it. And, um, and, and, uh, and, and so kind of in a weird way bypassed me mm-hmm. and my, my concern, you know, I just was not you know, into it. Maybe I was too old. I was too old. Yeah. (laughs) I was already 20, 21. (laughs) That three years makes all the difference again. Yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Where where did you, um, where did gun club or, you know, in that early kind of incarnation fit in, were there bands that were kind of happening around then that were also, you know, that three years too old for this, this incoming kind of beach invasion that was happening. Um, yeah, I mean, it was funny. We we were definitely the band that musicians liked. Yeah, but I don't know how yeah. much people liked us. <laughs> Everyone else saw the potential. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, we were we would play with the Circle Jerks would ask us to play. We played with the Bags. We played with uh, the the Blasters. The Roots Rock people yes. liked it. You know, they saw something there. You know, they but their audience would never like us because we were. You know, Too punk. terrorizing, terrorizing <laughs> the, that music. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, me and Jeffrey both had been in New York and seen No Wave, and we were very into the Cramps and very into James Chance and the Contortions, who were taking older music, and you could tell they were reverent about it because such a, a great attention to detail, but they also were perverting it in such an incredible way, you know, turning it upside down, you know, and mixing things together. Like I said, like psychedelic with rockabilly or James chance doing like James, James Brown routine. And then playing the sax, like Albert Eiler, all this weird (laughs) angler music and really angry and nihilistic. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It was just like, what is going on? Yeah. You know, but it was, it was, it was alchemy, you know, it was magic, magic alchemy, you know, and, and if you could get it to work and then you, you know, get the grand prize, you know, which those bands did. And so that's like something we were kind of striving to do. And, um, you know, and like when Christian and Bradley would say we were a kind of a kind spinoff, we we're definitely influenced by that. And of course, uh, Imitation is the greatest of flattery. Um, uh, but, you know, but we, that was just a jumping off point, mm-hmm. you know, for us. And then we started to incorporate uh, things like gunfighter ballad type music or, 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 or blues music, you know, especially, you know. Um, and, and so, you know, we were, we were playing around with, with how could we, you know, make this weird puzzle even weirder. <laughs> you know, you know um, the earliest incarnation of the you know, gun club even, you know, had reggae influence and, you know, we played a version of slipping into darkness by the band war. 
Really? Yes. Which Dave Alvin said, I think you guys slipped a little too far into the darkness when you did that one. (laughs) (laughs) So we didn't, and we ended up throwing that out of the set. But, you know, but we, we, it was a weird, you know, weird trying combinations to come up with the right bitches brew, you know, Mm -hmm. witches brew for us. And, 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 um, and, you know, so it's kind of a little bit like weird, drunk scientists who don't know what they're doing, trying to make sense of something. Yeah. Well, it's like we've been talking about all these great bands that, you know, you guys created your own world. Like it was yeah. a band that once again, like created a sound that, you know, like you're saying, it, it, it might, you know, people say it sounds what well, came from the cramps. It sounds nothing like the cramps. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, but, no. Um, One of the best bands ever. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, no, we found we found we found the we found the the the, the, the magical potion to make to make that you know, mm-hmm. and that, that was just through a lot of trial and error, a lot of uh, different people coming and going, different things happening, and you know, and and, and, and yeah, I didn't touch a guitar until I did the Gun Club with Jeffrey. You know, I had never, he was like, you should be the singer. And I was like, I don't want to be the singer. I can't sing. And he said, okay, then you can be the guitar player. I'm like, I don't want to be the guitar player. I don't know how to play guitar. He's like, sorry, you're going to be the guitar player. <laughs> he handed me this guitar. <laughs> Here, here's a guitar. And tuned it to open E and said, here, just put your finger over this. And here's a slide, you know. <laughs> and listen to this Bo Diddley record, you know. He's again, he, Bo Diddley's a gunslinger, which is one chord. He said, just keep practicing that until you master that. that and I've been doing the same thing ever since. <laughs> well, yeah, and it just, it creates a sound, right? Like it's such a pure yeah. take on the instrument. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, pure rhythm. That's the, it's the, it's the that's the thing. Mm-hmm. That's the magic Absolutely. That's the magic. Yeah. When did you first go to London? Time. Before or after you went to New York? Uh, before. I went, I, well, kind of the first time was the same, like, same trip. I was actually, I was graduating from school, high school. Mm-hmm. Actually, I, was, I threatened my parents not to graduate from high school. <laughs> and, you know, I was already way beyond, you know, I was already going out to Rodney's and Already had had anonymous sex, and it was already, you know, living life. Yeah, yeah, I was living life. And but they said, well, if you graduate, you know, because I was saying I want to go on this trip. Like my there was a school trip going to Europe, and London and Paris most definitely interested me. Mm -hmm. And and you know, and and uh, and I was like, if I could go on that trip, like. You know, I'll go, I'll do school, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. I'll finish school, you know, and they were like, okay, you know, or somehow talked them into that. So I went on a school trip, and of course, when I got to London, immediately broke off from the school group, <laughs> <laughs> went and I got to actually saw the Slits play. Oh, whoa. And at, at this place, the Vortex. And um, well, yeah, I just went records. Yeah, I did a whole punk thing. You know, and um, so yeah, so I got to see that you know firsthand, and I went to Paris and went, you know, mostly just record stores and stuff. I didn't really experience a lot, you know, but um, but 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 you know, it was it opened my eyes in a big way, you know, um, yeah, to different world and different culture, you know, and uh, yeah, and that was kind of the, one of the things that we brought back to. LA is that me and Jeffrey Lee Pierce had already, we had traveled already, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, maybe not, maybe not greatly, um, not lengthily, but you know, we'd spent time in New York and been to London and Jeffrey had gone to Jamaica in search of reggae music. And, and cause he was writing reggae reviews for slash magazine. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so we, 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 yeah, we, we were, we were aware of the rest of the world, <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, and, and that uh, there was a lot of different things going on. And it, it wasn't just one, one small microcosm. It was actually a giant blob of 
<laughs> yeah, a giant planet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. So that, 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 was, that was, was good. When you were in Paris, were you buying French punk records, or were you just buying like any? Records? Yes, I bought. I bought the Metal Urbane. I'm the oh. first person I know who bought Metal Urbane record. Another band that kind of another band has a new sound <laughs> to it too. Yeah, I mean, I just went to the rec- a record store and I just saw this, a picture, their picture on the cover, and I was like, okay, I'm getting this. It's in French. I don't know what it says, <laughs> but, but they look amazing. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Yeah. And that, and um, yeah, stinky toys. Yes, was more pop. Yes, I love them though. And um, yeah, so there was there was stuff going on, mm-hmm. you know, already. You know, uh, it was already a, a, a world phenomenon. You know, so that was 1977. So, when did you yeah, become aware of the stuff that was going on in Australia specifically? That time too, because the Saints. Yeah, I was going to say the Saints. You know, uh, 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 "Stranded" by the Saints was one of the very first punk records, and it was in every punk record store. I saw it in England. I saw it at Bomb Records. Yeah, I worked at Bomb Records for a little bit. Oh, you did? And, uh, yeah, yeah. That's where I met Jeffrey actually, because he was a customer there, and um, I worked yeah shortly there. Uh, yeah, because I had worked before. Okay, I'm giving up way too much of my book. Well, no, we, anything um, you don't want to cover, don't worry. We, no, I can... uh, no, no, I'm just kidding. Okay. okay. <laughs> I, this I can tell you. But, but talking about the quick, because before I worked at Bomb, I was working at, uh, there was this chain of record stores called Licorice Pizza. Mm-hmm. And my friend, ML, and uh, some friends of mine were managing one of the stores and, and hired me. I always only worked in record stores, um, and uh, <laughs> why not? And oh, um, it would ruin me if I did but, that. But but that was well, yeah. But this was a, a, a licorice pizza chain record store. So all day, all we sold was Frampton Comes Alive <laughs> and Fleetwood Mac Rumors. You could not keep those two. <laughs> but we did have a really great import buyer, so he bought all the new punk records. But um, but who worked at that store was me, Danny Benair, who's the drummer of the Quick, mm-hmm. uh, and Dee Dee Fay, who was one of the main writers, the Backdoor Man, <laughs> and Lisa Fancher, who who... Uh, started a label called Frontier Records, and she also had a um, fanzine, maybe called No Exit. I, may, I might be making that up, but that might be what it is. It's coming to my mind. Uh, yeah, and my friend Marcy Blaustein uh, became a caterer to the stars. We all worked at this. Um, we all worked at this Irish uh, Pizza in North Hollywood. What the chain store? Yes, yes. <laughs> And then I think Lisa had got me a job at Bomb after that blew up. Yeah, I think they didn't. They do a Black Flag single too for Licorice Pizza at one point. Did they? I don't know. That I don't know. I thought that Thirsty and Miserable was like a store exclusive or something, but that might have been later on. But it's it could be. uh, I have kept you for so long, and I was just (laughs) at some point, maybe after your book comes out, would you come back for a part two? Yeah, we'll do part two. Yes. <laughs> because we have just scratched the surface. I can honestly say this has been one of the truly great episodes I've gotten to do in the 200 Aww. some odd episodes. Honestly, it's Aww, been. That's nice. Well, you connect so many worlds. Like, it's just amazing. Like, you know, it's always impressive when you when you talk to someone who did it once in one scene, you know. But, like, yeah, you're, you're in so many different scenes and obviously still doing it today. Yeah, yeah. What else am I going to do? <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Well, yes. uh, I'm glad you're doing it. And thank you so much for coming uh, on the well, show. Well, thanks for having me on. I'm very happy to have finally got it together to talk to you. Thank you, Kid Congo, for coming on the show. And you heard right there, we got we got more to get to. We got more to get to, and you're going to want to go and find Kid Congo Powers at Kid Congo Powers on various forms of social media, and you will be able to keep kept, be kept up to date with all the goings ons of Kid Congo and the Pink Mon- <laughs> Sorry, Kid Congo and the Pink Monkey Birds, which is his latest project, an incredible band. This is a guy; it's a legend. He's a legend, a legend in our own time, 
go out and check out Kikongo if you have not had the opportunity. I'm man, thank you, Tristan, for making this one happen. Whew. Well, that's it. Uh, I think we're going to hit you with another episode before the week is done. And we are going to be hitting you with one that I've been uh, really excited to play. Really, really excited to play. This is a world away. And that's why this podcast is so much fun because this has nothing to do with Kid Congo Powers. Next week on the show, Ben Lee. Ben Lee from Noise Addict. Ben Lee from, from just Ben Lee fame. I am so excited about this one. I cannot wait for you to hear it. That's it. For this week, though, go out there and make your own culture, uh, sign your organ donor cards, uh, tell people you love that you love them, and uh, that's it. I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye.